In uh, Colossians chapter 3 is where we're at this morning. Uh, if you don't have it, it'll be on the screen for you as we read it together. Uh, we're in this series. This is the final message in this mission critical series, taking a look at some of the core convictions that are necessary if we're to be faithful to the mission that we have of sharing the gospel, shaping disciples, and sending missionaries into our neighborhoods and across the globe. We see a people who are shaped by the word we've said, we're humbled by prayer, we're empowered by the Spirit, our lives are hospitable and open to the world for witness, and we're also uh, must embrace and embody this conviction of being renewed in community. Renewed in community. Colossians chapter 3, beginning in verse 5, Paul writes, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of of its creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful." Now, I've got a friend who several years back, he moved out to Phoenix, Arizona. He and his wife and his children in order to be a part of a church planting residency out there. And so uh, one summer when we, our kids were doing camp in Colorado, I decided to fly up to camp. They got to ride the bus. I, I, I got to fly. And on my way, I uh, stopped in Phoenix to visit him uh, because we were partnering with him as a church to help support him and his residency program there. And so we spent some time together just catching up. We did a hike up in uh, some of the, 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 the kind of desert, deserters hills and mountains there surrounding Phoenix. It's like, just Phoenix, like a big bowl there uh, in the middle of the desert. Um, and, but but as, we, as I got ready to leave Phoenix, um, that day I left Phoenix on a Monday to fly to Colorado to go to camp. And it was 121 degrees whenever I left Phoenix that day. It was scorching hot. They're like, it's a dry heat. No, it's hot, okay? It's no, no matter how you slice it, 121 degrees is hot. As we drove down the road and you looked off into the distance, uh, you, you, I, I began to understand really for the first time what a mirage was, okay? Because you could just see out in the distance, it looked like this inviting body of water there on, situated in front of us on the interstate, Right, where you could just drive into. I had seen maybe some mirages before in my life, but never ones that were this intense because of the way that the heat was rising up from the ground surface and the light rays were, were, were refracting and reflecting off of it. Right? So, because a mirage is a natural occurring optical phenomenon. Right? It's not a hallucination. 
You don't think that you're seeing things. You're actually seeing something, but the way that the light is hitting it doesn't allow you to see it for what it is. You with me? That's what a mirage is. And there are superior mirages, which cause things in the distance to look larger than they actually are. And there are inferior mirages, which cause things in the distance to look actually smaller than what they are, based upon the way that the light is being processed by your mind. Right? And so a mirage is, you, know, you watch the old movies where they're like traveling through the desert and they see like this oasis out in the distance and they think there's palm trees and there's a, there's a pond there where they can just stop and rest and be refreshed and hydrated and as they get closer and closer it just disappears, dissipates before their eyes. Right? Because of the way the light is hitting it. It's, it's a naturally occurring phenomenon. And listen, when, it, when we think about mirages, I think oftentimes there are many people who are good, well-intended individuals who are part of churches all across our nation and even those in our community, whenever they think of the Christian life and they think of Christian community, what they're seeing before them to some degree is a mirage. Right? Because what they're seeing is, is lesser than oftentimes what it's supposed to be in actuality. And so what, this morning what I want us to do is we talk about being renewed in community. My hope is that we could shed light on from the scriptures what Christian community is and what the Christian life is in reality and not the mirage that many people have bought into that they're believing it to be. You with me? That's, where we're, that's what we want to do this morning is consider what is the Christian life and then what is Christian community and how does it contribute to that? All right? And so the first thing from this text that we will need to see is this, is the Christian life is about rescue and renewal. It's about rescue and renewal. Okay? First of all, it's about rescue. Listen, in verses 9 and 10 of Colossians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul points us back to what he has written previously in the letter about what God has done to rescue sinful, fallen people. In verses 9 and 10, we're told that upon the occasion of our conversion, that there is a definitive change. There's a definitive change of our position before God. We've put off the old man and we've put on the new man. In fact, the two verbs there in verses 9 and 10 of put off and put on are in the past tense of the Greek. And listen, they're not a command that Paul's given us. He's not looking at us and saying, put this on and take this off. What he's saying is, since this has been put off, and since this has been put on, then this is then how you should live. In other words, why do I put these desires to death? Why do I change the speech patterns in my life? Why do I change the way that I relate to people who are around me? And he says, because it's not reflective of who you are any longer. There's been an immediate and definitive change. Listen to how Paul describes it previously in Colossians, in chapter 1. He says it this way. He says in Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14, speaking of God the Father, that He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Paul says, at the moment in which we were declared forgiven by God, that we were transferred, that God lifted us from this place and set us in this place, that we're no longer under the rule, reign, and dominion of darkness, but we've been transferred. Our citizenship has been shifted 
We've gone from citizens of one country to citizens of another country. There's an, a change that takes place, right? Or he says it this way further on in Colossians 1. He says, for in him, in Jesus... He says, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace by the blood of his cross. And then he says in verse 21, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless above reproach before him. So listen, this is what Paul's saying. There's been a change that's taken place in the life of a Christian. Someone who's been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. And that through that beloved son, through his life in their place, through his death in their place, through his coming to be their substitute and their savior, that God has dealt with our guilt that God has dealt with our shame, that God has dealt with our sin, and that, what we, that Jesus essentially was treated as our sins deserved so that we might be treated as Jesus' righteousness deserves. There's been a change in your position as God has reached down to rescue all who are in Christ. And listen, church, there is no change in life that is as radical and as immediate as this one. None. Listen, not puberty, right? Where your voice starts to crack and you get acne and break out and got pimples everywhere and then you're all gangly a little bit because your feet haven't caught up to your torso or your torso haven't caught up to your feet, right? That, that is a radical change, but not an immediate one, okay? Not even marriage is this radical or immediate because you go from dating or courting, right, to engagement, and then to marriage as husband and wife as you stand before your friends and family and covenant yourself before God and them. Not even that's as radical of a change as this one. Not even parenthood, right? Because as you conceive and then the baby grows in the womb and then it eventually comes out the birth canal and you welcome it into the world. Right, that's, you go from being not a mother or father to being a mother or father, but not even that is as radical and as immediate as this one. It's hard to think of a good illustration outside of literature. Let me give you one. If you're a fan of C.S. Lewis, his, his, his books, The Chronicles of Narnia, and the first episode, or one of the episodes of that, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, right, the very first movie they made, if you hadn't read the books. But listen, in that, in that, in that, in his writing, Right? There's something that happens to these children, right? to uh, Lucy and Peter and Edmund, um, as they walk through this wardrobe that they find in the, in the room. Right? They've been shipped off from London into the countryside because of the war that's raging around them into a safer location. And they're exploring this big, massive home in which they now find themselves. And they find this armoire, this wardrobe, located in a room. Right, that no one really goes into. And they open the doors to the wardrobe and as they pass through the wardrobe, they all of a sudden immediately find themselves in this foreign land. Right? The snow is up to their knees. Right? And they've got on these, they go back and get these coats and they put them on. Right? But as soon as these children pass from rags, to, they pass through the wardrobe and immediately become royalty immediately there's an immediate change in their position 
right? They come from, from war-torn England into becoming kings and queens in this new land, in this new realm. There's an immediate and radical change to their identity. To their identity. And listen, church, the same is true when you cross over the line of faith and you place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and what He has done for you on your behalf as your substitute and Savior. That when God transfers you, there's an immediate and radical change to your identity. You're no longer alienated, but now adopted by God. You're no longer objects of God's wrath, but now objects of God's mercy. You're now sons and daughters, princes and princesses, right? Kings and queens. You go from rags to royalty. That's how the Bible describes this, from darkness to light, from despair to hope. And there's an immediate change in your position. Immediate and radical that's what God does whenever we are converted. So the Christian life is about rescue. That's where it starts. See, legal, those of us who, are, who think that we know what the Christian life is about and that we think that what I have to do is clean my life up in order to come to God and present to God this guy or gal who is like spick and span, right? Like Mr. Clean. Got a bald head, right, and got guns, big biceps, right, and a white t-shirt, right, that's, I, that's how I got to come to God, I got to clean myself up and then come to him and present myself to him, the Bible says no, you have no hope of being cleansed apart from him, that he reaches down to find you in your despair and he rescues you and places you in this new position in which now you have an identity as his son or daughter that gives you hope. Anybody with me this morning? All right. So, the Christian life is about rescue and renewal. Right? And I think there's some of us, perhaps in the room, who have this mirage of the Christian life because we think all it's about is rescue. All it's about is rescue. But Paul doesn't stop there. He talks about the renewal that comes as we're conformed to the image of God's Son. Not only has He rescued us and put off and put on this new identity, this new position, but He's in the process of renewing us into the image of Jesus. Any of you like to watch those shows where you see something old made new, right? I, I, think, of, I think of like shows like The Biggest Loser, right? Or shows like This Old House. Remember Bob Vila, some of us are a little older. Or Fixer Upper, for those of us who are a little younger, right? right? Jo, jo, Chip and Joanna, right? Or, we, or I Pimp My Ride, right? Where, where they take these old cars. You're like, did he just say pimp in church? Right? <laughs> pimp My Ride, where they take these old cars that are maybe broken down and they restore them and, and they, they fix them up. They got hydraulics that'll lift them. They got LEDs. They got bumping systems in the trunk, right? They got all this stuff, right? And so they watch these shows, though where they take old things that are rotting and rusting and they restore them and renew them. We all love to go, even if, we don't, even if you're not a car buff and you drive by a, the car show in downtown Rockwall every year and you see these old classic cars that have been restored to their beauty and glory. They look like they just came off the showroom floor. It, it, you can't help but turn your head and look, 
right? Because it's, it's, it's something that's been renewed. It's been restored. Or these older homes that they gut, they bring it down to the studs, right? They move walls around, they open, open concept, right? O- open it up. They put subway tiles with a backsplash. They got white cabinets, right? They got quartz counters. They put all these features into the home and they make it beautiful and functional for modern living. Right, we're infatuated by those shows. Or you're right, like, like, like personal transformations as people shed pounds and they don a new wardrobe. Right? They put on new clothes and new sizes that they couldn't fit into before. We're fascinated by those stories of transformation, those stories of renewal, so much so that some people make their hobbies, their jobs, or their entertainment out of taking things which have deteriorated and restore them to like new or better than new condition. They restore houses, restore cars, some people restore bodies, but God restores persons. He restores people. That's the business that God is in. And listen, I wonder sometimes, even in my own life, right? Because I can find myself every once in a while, right, binging on some fixer-upper episodes, thinking, man, I could do that to our house. We can make these. I wonder sometimes if we are so engrossed in those television shows that entertain us when we see stories of external change, right? And it's one thing to be a fan of those shows. It's another thing to be, like, just binge on them, right? Just keep clicking. And I wonder sometimes if we just keep clicking on them because God has hardwired within us a desire for change and transformation. And because we see so little of it internally, we are fascinated by it externally. I wonder. See, Paul says not only is the Christian life about this rescue, but it's about a renewal of our souls, a renewal of our loves, a renewal of our priorities, a renewal of our values. In verse 10, listen to what he talks about. He says that what we, we see in this new self that we've, that we've put on at the occasion of our conversion, there's this continual process of being renewed and restored to eventually look like we did upon our creation when our first parents were made in the garden in the image of God being restored in us day by day by day. See, the verb there in the text of being renewed is in the passive voice. You know what that means? It means it's something that's being done to us. That God has rescued us and God is the master artisan. God is the master craftsman. God is the one who is bringing about the renewal and the restoration in our lives. And the way that he's doing that, listen, this is what the text says in verse 10. The way that he's doing that is through knowledge. Listen. Some of you missed your moment right there, right? Listen, the way that he's doing that is through knowledge. Because what Paul has said is you have this new identity, this new position. But you don't always understand how that flushes itself out in practice. So you're working that out as this knowledge is being acquired over the course of time as you walk with God, as you come to know God, as you are immersed in and shaped by His Word, as you're on your knees before Him in prayer and petition, asking for direction and guidance, as the Holy Spirit's empowering you to live the kind of life that He's calling you to live. 
as all this is taking place, you're gaining knowledge of what this new position, this new identity actually looks like in practice. And that's kind of how this renewal process is taking place in our lives. So God, is, God rescues and God restores. That's the Christian life. It's about rescue and renewal. But there's a context in which it takes place. This is where we're going to spend the rest of our time this morning. The context in which this, res- this renewal takes place is in the, in the church. Because here's why. Renewal is a community project. This renewal is a community project. And the church, listen, is, a, is, a, is the context and a catalyst for it. Let me show you what I mean by that from the text. In verses 12 to 15, what you see are collective expectations that we have for one another and that we push each other toward. Listen to what Paul says again. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. There's a set of collective expectations. And listen, every person in this room, though you may not have clarified this as your life's mission statement, you want to be that kind of person. You know why I know that? It's because that's how you want to be treated. You want people to be humble towards you, meek with you, patient with you, compassionate towards you, forgiving of you, bearing with you. You want people to be that towards you. And so, listen, if you want people to be that towards you, then there's a sense in which, even though you may not really fully recognize it, that this is the kind of person you want to be. And there is no context or no catalyst outside the church in which we will grow into these kinds of people and be renewed into the image of God's Son. Right? And so the church is the context and the catalyst for it in which our life, we begin to embody these character traits and here's why here's at least two reasons why because the church first of all listen it provides us with people who embody these qualities and they inspire us to imitate them you ever look around at people in your life or people in the church and you see people who tenderly and compassionately care for others more than you do you say i wish i could i wish i were like more like that Or you see people who are patient with others, long-suffering with them. They have such a long fuse, it seems like, right? Whereas your fuse just burns so quick. You're like, I wish I was more patient with the people in my life, like they are. So they inspire you to imitate them. Or you look at other people and you see love, like it's like a glue that just binds them together and they're unified. Even amongst their differences, there's a unity there. You say, I wish I could be... have a unity with people who thought differently than I did in the way that that person does. Or you see them living these peace-filled lives filled with wholeness and joy. You say, I, I lack some of that in my life and I wish I could, I wish I could be like them. And so the church, these this people that God is renewing in the image of His Son, they provide us with people that inspire 
and us to imitate them in the character qualities that they excel in. And then God is using us in their life in the same way because there's things that you're excelling in that they're not. And so they, there's an inspiration toward imitation. But listen, the church on the backside of that, because right, for every positive, there might be a negative. That's how magnets work. The church also provides people who force us to embody these qualities as we relate to them. Listen, if God's in the process of renewing you, of restoring you, how is that going to take place in your life? How are you going to become a forgiving kind of person and cultivate, cultivate a forgiving heart unless you're among a people who occasionally offend you? How are you going to become a patient person unless you are among a people who occasionally annoy you? Listen, that's why God has put me in your life. Right? Because I can offend you and I can annoy you. Let me turn the tables on you for a minute. That's why God has put some of you in my life. Right? And in each other's lives. Because there will be occasions in which we offend each other, occasions in which we annoy each other. And how are you going to become a forgiving person and cultivate patience unless you're around people who require that of you? See, if we're always just kind of drawing away into our own little bubbles where no, we're, we're isolating ourselves from anyone who would offend us and anyone who would annoy us, then we'll never be the kinds of people who cultivate patience and forgiveness. How are you going to cultivate humility unless you're among the people who are different than you? They have different perspectives. They vote differently than you do, right? Right? They, maybe they parent a little bit differently than you do. Maybe their kids go to different, maybe they're homeschoolers and you're a public school or private school. How are you going to cultivate humility unless you're around people who are different than you are? You won't. But you will withdraw into this conclave of pride because you've got it right on everything. How are you going to cultivate a compassionate heart? Listen, unless you're among a people who are hurting and needy and at times require you to be inconvenienced for their good. I, think, I don't know if I started preaching yet or not, but see, God uses people like this in your life and uses you like this in other people's lives to bring about renewal. And apart from the context of the church where you're shoulder to shoulder with other believers and apart from the catalyst of the church in which you are being bared with and you are bearing with others, then this kind of renewal will not come. And you will have a mirage of Christian community but not the authentic water which quenches thirst in your life and brings about change listen in fact you cannot get this kind of renewal apart from the church listen it's proven it's proven let me kind of give you a, a break it down for you this way it's proven that you will have greater results if you work out in a group than if you do as an individual in isolation did you know that did you know that some of you are discovering that right 
Some of you have joined CrossFit or Camp Gladiator or one of those programs. You're like, man, I pushed myself more than I ever would have imagined that I could have apart from other people around me with the same goals, the same vision, and they're encouraging me to push, them, to push myself as I'm encouraging them to push themselves. As a distance runner growing up uh, in, in high school and a little bit in college uh, and having a team around me who was driving for the same goals, the same mission, even as an adult, as I continue to train and do some road races, I find that I'm able to push myself harder. I can run further. I can run faster whenever I have other people around me who are pushing me than I can whenever I'm by myself. Case in point, when I go to the track to do speed workouts, I remember speed workouts in high school as a, as a, as a part of the track team. And we'd get onto the track and the coach would be like, okay, today we're doing eight quarter mile intervals with a quarter mile rest in between each one. And you guys who are number ones and number twos on the team, you're shooting for all those quarter mile intervals under 60 seconds. All right, coach. And so we'd line up on the line, boom, we take off, right? And so as we get close to the end of the line, he's yelling at us, right, in our face, come on, push, push, push. And so we cross the line and we do our recovery lap. And then we come back along the starting line again. He, he'd, he'd fire us up and we'd take off again. Even today, whenever I go out to the track, when I have other people who are around me, who are in my face, who are encouraging me, who are, who are cheering me on, I can find that I run faster and I run further than I can by myself. And you know what else that helps when as a, as a distance runner, what I found is whenever you run in a group, other people see things in you that you don't see in yourself. And they begin to help you correct your form. So as you're running, right, like, like the longer, the more fatigued you become, the tighter your shoulders get. You start shrugging them up here as you get fatigued. And somebody can see that. You don't see it, but they see it. And they say, relax, drop your shoulders, right? Or your arms swing, right? It becomes really robotic. And they say, loosen, loosen up, right? Or you begin to slouch over as you get tired. And so you're kind of running like a, a, a person, you know, walking with a cane. And they say, stand tall, stand tall. Or you begin to overextend your stride and land on your heel. And they say, shorten your stride. Shorten your stride. Land soft. Right? And so they see these things about your form that they begin to correct in the midst of the, the run. And so it's massively beneficial to have other people around you that are pushing you and correcting you. They're encouraging you. Right? And they're saying, hey, listen, I see this. You may not see it yet, but this is what you're doing. I see this pattern you can develop. And listen, the same is true in Christian community. The same is true. There's a renewal that will begin to take place in your life that would not take place otherwise apart from the church, apart from running with other people, working out with other people. Listen, if I go out to White Rock Lake on a Saturday and I just run up next to somebody who just kind of has their headphones in and they're walking by themselves or just kind of jogging along by themselves. Nobody else around. I'm not a care in the world. And I pull their headphones off and I get in there and I'm like, come on, you can do it. <laughs> they are not going to appreciate that very much. But when you get around other people who are aiming for the same thing, you begin to push each other and correct each other. You're, what you're doing is loving each other. And you're, you, you begin to discover you're, you're, you're able to accomplish so much more than you could have by yourself. And some of us need people, and all of us need people in our lives who love us enough to correct our form as Christians. 
sometimes to get in our face very lovingly and gently and just to correct our form and to encourage us, right, to take the next step, put one more foot, one more foot, one more, come on, you got this, you've got this. Right, and so that's the kind of renewal and that's, that's the reason that apart from the church, apart from that context, we'll never experience that kind of renewal. And so as we close this morning, here's, here's what I want to share with you. How is it that we begin to embody this conviction of being renewed in community? Let me, let me say it to you this way. Instead of just settling for Christian friends, begin to cultivate genuine Christian friendships, genuine Christian relationships. Because there's a difference between having Christian friends and having genuine Christian relationships. See, many of us think that we have Christian community because we have a group of Christians that we get to hang out with on the weekends, right? That we get to maybe vacation with or travel with or we get to throw cornhole with or we get to go hang out and just right, watch football with or, or right, do play dates with our kids. Like we have Christian community because we have these Christian friends. But having Christian friends and having genuine Christian relationships are two different things. See, true, genuine Christian relationships, they are a crucible in your life in which the dross of all of our self-love and all of our self-focus gets brought to the surface and begins to be burned away. That's what genuine Christian community does in your life. It's like a crucible that begins to apply some heat at times. Because there's people who are kind of correcting our form, they're encouraging us along the way, and the temperature rises, and it's burning away all of our self-interest, all of our self-focus, all of our self-love. Because true Christian relationships, genuine Christian friendships, have a sobering effect on our life, and they have a shaping effect in our life. They can wake us up. They're like smelling salts at times, right? Whenever we are just kind of the walking dead, Literally, not the TV show, but literally The Walking Dead. And it's like that, that Christian, true, genuine Christian friendship doesn't just, doesn't just get together for a hangout on the weekends, but they wave some smelling salts under our nose and we, all of a sudden we're sobered up. And we begin to see things more clearly. We see things now that we didn't see before because of this person's shaping influence, this person's sobering influence in our lives. And we begin to weigh things out with them. I thought, of the, I thought of the story of, of the Lord of the Rings um, at the very outset of, of Tolkien's series as uh, Gandalf and Bilbo are having a conversation, right, before Frodo even enters the picture. And they're having this conversation there in Bilbo's home, and Bilbo says this to Gandalf. He says, sometimes I felt it was like an eye looking at me, speaking of the ring that he has in his possession. Sometimes I felt like it was an eye looking at me. And I'm always wanting to put it on and disappear, don't you know? Or wondering if it's safe and I pull it out to make sure. I tried locking it up, but I found I could not rest without it in my pocket. I don't know why and I don't seem to be able to make up my mind. And then Gandalf looks at Bilbo and he says, then trust mine. It is quite made up. Go away and leave it behind. See, Genuine Christian relationships are like that in our lives. 
Some of us, we, have, we know we have things in our life that we need to set aside, that we need to lock up, that we need to take off of our persons and leave behind us. But we can't seem to make up our minds. One day we're in, the next day we're out. And what true, genuine Christian friendships do in our lives is say, if you can't trust your mind in this judgment call, trust mine. It is quite made up. Go and leave it behind. But in order to have those kinds of relationships, to have that kind of gift of community, you have to cultivate those relationships. And in fact, some of us, we can look back on our past and we know the pain of not listening to those whose minds were quite made up. Anybody testify to that? I can. But some of us look back and we also know the joy of listening to those whose minds were quite made up. Listen, you will save yourself pain and you will also bring yourself some joy in the Christian life if you will listen to those whose minds are quite made up even when yours is vacillating back and forth. And you know there are destructive patterns in your life but you cannot seem to leave them behind. You trust the mind of someone else who's already made up for you. But these relationships must be cultivated. And listen, let me give you... Two ways to cultivate them. First of all, if you're going to cultivate these kinds of Christian friendships, you must learn to weigh out your decisions and desires before others and open them for critique. Open those decisions and desires for critique from those who are around you. All right? That's what it looks like to live in true Christian, not just have Christian friends, but to have true Christian community. Think of what Paul says in, in, in his letter to the Corinthians when he talks about how through um, his preaching he destroys the lofty opinions that are raised up or elevated against God. And listen, all of us have lofty opinions in our lives. There's lofty opinions in our culture that would raise themselves up against true knowledge of God. And they might be Opinions out there, but they also might be opinions in here, in our own hearts, in our own minds. And sometimes we have those opinions that are raised up against the true knowledge of God. And we need to bring our decisions and desires to the table with those who are around us in Christian community and say, help me weigh this out. Is this a lofty opinion of my own? Where I say, I know what the scriptures say, or I know what God says, and I, 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 I know what... You're probably going to say, but this is what I want to do. This is what I want. Listen, a part of cultivating genuine Christian community is weighing those out and then receiving that counsel and critique and be willing to respond to it and walk in it. And so if we're going to cultivate this kind of genuine Christian community, then we've got to weigh out our decisions and desires before others. Like decisions about maybe even selling a home and buying a home. Right? Decisions about selling a car, buying a car. Some of those kinds of decisions. Even some of those morally neutral things that we invite other people in the decision-making process with us. That we're not held hostage on the morally neutral issues, but we invite other people into the process with us. Those who know us really well. And we open our lives up to them. It's part of Christian community. And listen, one of the ways to know that you have a mirage of Christian community in your life Right? Is that Christian community is always fun and is never challenging. 
It never challenges you. It never contradicts you. And it never convicts you. Now listen, if you're going to open your life up in that kind of way, if your decisions and desires to be weighed out in front of other believers who are going to pray with you about those things and weigh in with their counsel, then one of the things that's going to require of you and I is that we lay down our own self-righteousness. We've got to lay down our own self-righteousness. See, you're not going to be willing to have your sin called out and your wrong motivations challenged for the decisions that you're making until you lay down your attempt to justify yourself. To prove that you're not wrong. To prove that you're right in this instance. Anybody find that to be just a natural inclination in their own hearts? My wife will tell you that that is a natural inclination in my heart to defend myself, to justify myself, to prove that I'm right in the context of the discussion, in the context of the conversation. And the only way that you can lay down your self-righteousness is to receive righteousness from another. Otherwise, you're always going to be trying to make yourself righteous, prove yourself to be right, and prove the other person to be wrong. And listen, let me give you some good news here this morning. You know what the gospel says? The good news of Jesus? The gospel says this, is that you were so wrong and sinful that He had to die for you. You were so wrong and sinful that the cross had to happen, but you were so loved that it did. That's what the gospel says. And whenever that comes to settle on your heart, then you can lay aside your own self-righteousness. You don't have to be right in every instant and on every occasion. And you can open up yourself, your, your, your decision-making and your desires to others and say, would you speak into that motivation? Would you speak into that decision and give me some counsel? Because I know, I know there's probably some things I need to lay aside in my life. And in this moment, I need to trust your mind perhaps more than I do my own. But to do that, you've got to lay aside your self-righteousness. And then finally, if you're going to cultivate the kind, this kind of true Christian friendships, then you need to learn to remind other people of who they are. This is a part of, of Christian community. Right? That you become a broken record in their life. Right? right. What's a broken record? A scratched DVD. Or Blu-ray disc, right? Or a glitchy satellite feed, okay? That just keeps replaying the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. You've got to learn to remind people in the context of that, those discussions of who they are, right? Where you begin, to, you begin to call them out to be who they are. You remind others of who God is and what He's done, uh, that they are sons and daughters of a king, right? That they've passed through the wardrobe. Now they're clothed in garments of righteousness. And now they're royalty, right? So why would they stoop themselves to be covered in rags when they could be covered in royal garments of the king, right? Remind them of who they are constantly. And I wonder how much of our Christian community preaches the gospel to us on a regular consistent basis that whenever we're struggling with sin there are people who are in our lives who are saying this is what God has done he's rescued you 
Leave it behind. He's made you righteous. Walk in righteousness. He's made you pure and undefiled. So live that way. I wonder how much of our encouragement to our brothers and sisters has that kind of gospel motivation to it versus, right, give me 50 bucks and if you do it again, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take your money. I'm not gonna give it back. I wonder how much of our accountability is bringing people back to what God has done and who they are in Christ, therefore how they should live apart from the context of the church and the gift of brothers and sisters who are part of the same family, we will never experience the kind of renewal that God envisions for our lives. Never. And listen, the way that we do that here at Redeemer, the way that we try to cultivate these relationships is through our life groups. Many of you are part of some. Some of you have not yet maybe found one to plug into. If that's you this morning, you have not found a place to go to, to pray with other, other believers, to, to consider the scriptures together, to build one another up, to encourage each other, to have those kinds of gospel conversations where you're weighing out decisions and desires and inviting counsel into your life, where you're encouraging one another by reminding them of who they are, continually and consistently like that broken record in their life. Right, where there's accountability that's being exercised, but in a way that's encouraging and not crushing. If, that's, if you've yet to find that group of people that you can share that kind of Christian community and life with, I'd love to connect with you. I'll be at the door on your way out. Stop by, visit with me. There's four or five of those groups that meet throughout our community on different nights and at different times. And they would love to have you come visit Right? And listen, when you visit the very first week, they're not going to ask you to run down every list of sin you've ever committed. Right? Just go ahead and like, like back up the dump truck and just go ahead and pull the lever and empty it all right here day one so we can get going. That's not, I, I promise you, that's not going to be the experience. But over time, as you cultivate relationships there, they become those people that you develop trust with. Right? They're not that, just the random person running alongside of you on the trail on White Rock, screaming in your face that you've never met before. But they're a part of that group that you're running with who is pushing you and encouraging you. Go further. Go faster. And you just might find, you just might find that you're capable of more than you ever imagined. I want to pray for us this morning to that end that God would grace us with that kind of rich fabric of community here at Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, today, we thank you for your reconciling work for us in Christ. We thank you for the good news that though we were once alienated from you, that those who are in Christ have been adopted into your family. That we who were once living in despair now are a, have a hope. That we who were once living in darkness have now had light shed upon our lives. And Father, I pray if there's anyone in this room this morning for whom the thought of Christian community terrifies them and frightens them because they're afraid they're going to be outed in the lives of other people 
because they've never found security or identity in you. I pray God this morning might be the morning for them in which they're able to cross the line of faith. They're able to, be, to go from one who's alienated to adopted. From one who's under your just wrath to one who is a recipient of your, your just mercy. Because for those who are in Christ, it would be unjust for you to punish us when Christ has been punished on our behalf. If there's anybody here this morning, Father, who is yet to place their faith and trust in your Son, I pray this morning be the time they cross that line of faith. And they themselves would go from rags to royalty and experience that immediate change in position as one who is justified and righteous in your sight. And for those who have, I pray they would not have a mirage just of Christian friends that they get to do fun things with, but they would have true Christian community in their lives that is renewing them, that is pushing them to run further and faster, that is building strength in them and an endurance in them that they never imagined they could have as they open their lives up and weigh out decisions, weigh out desires, put their motivations on the table and ask others to speak with counsel and wisdom into their life. And as they remind others of who they are in Christ, that there would be a giving and receiving on both ends of these in our lives. so that we might be your beloved and live as your beloved who are holy and blameless, people of compassion, people of kindness, people of meekness, a forgiving community, a humble community, patient, Father, would you make it so? Would you make us more like your son? We pray in his name.